shooting spree near Merritt. Just a little after five, I heard several, several shots. Residents react after more than 100 shots fired across the Nicola Valley. The rise of respiratory infections in children. I know I'm not the only physician who's being slammed with all these same-day appointments for all these little ones who are coming in sick. Could the triple-demic lead to a return of mask mandates? And one year after it blew ashore, the barge on the beach has finally disappeared. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off this week. We begin in Merritt tonight where residents are still shaken up following several early morning shootings at multiple locations. Kamal Kuramali joins us live from Merritt with more on what happened. Kamal. Chris, we're learning there were three locations, two at two First Nations reserves outside of the city of Merritt and then one inside of the city itself, all of them connected. Gunfire ripped through this small Merritt mobile home park early Tuesday morning. Bullets piercing through at least one resident's home. I just hid myself under the blanks and stayed inside. <laughs> Daryl Backen can laugh about it now, but what's no joke is the number of shots fired. I would say a good 10. And it was very fast fired. Police say dozens of rounds were fired, possibly as many as 100 in several locations between 5 and 6.30 in the morning. We got calls from the public hearing shots fired. We got calls from the public seeing shots fired uh, from vehicles. RCMP say multiple suspects in vehicles traveled to three locations in and around Merritt in what they're calling targeted shootings. One of those areas, the Diamond Vale Mobile Home Park in Merritt. The suspects also made their way to the Coldwater First Nations Reserve just south of the city. More than several, a lot of shots, more than 20. Sounded like he reloaded a couple times. Jake Jamison woke up to gunfire, the shots hitting too close to home. I'm glad my wife and uh, Amara are safe at home because we live in a house just above that house that was supposedly targeted. Suspects also targeted a third location northwest of Merritt along Mammoth Lake Road, prompting the Lower Nicola Indian Band to issue a warning to its community to stay inside but they weren't the only ones. The school board alerted the schools that then alerted the parents through the apps uh, that they had. And if people chose not to send their kids to school, they were worried they, they could do that. In all of this, no one was injured. Not only is it a miracle, but a massive stroke of luck uh, that nobody was hit, nobody was injured. Incredible. All right, Kamal, what's the latest on the investigation and identifying any potential suspects? Mm -hmm. Police seem quite confident they know who these suspects are and the vehicles they're looking for. But they say right now they're just gathering evidence and trying to collect enough of it to move ahead with arrests, saying the investigation is moving quickly. But right now, Chris, no threat to the public. Back over to you. All right. Hope for the update soon. Thanks very much. That's Kamal Kuramali reporting in Merritt for us tonight. Well, if it seems like everyone around you is sick right now, you are not alone. And health officials are warning it's expected to get worse over the coming months. The triple threat of COVID, flu and RSV is putting a big strain on health care. Julie Nolan reports on the chance of a return to mask mandates and precautions you can take to protect yourself and those around you. We're preparing for what we expect to be a difficult winter. 
words of caution from BC's health minister with three serious respiratory illnesses making the rounds. We're continuing to take steps to prepare on the plan that we laid out, I think now a couple of months ago, and we have to prepare our healthcare system for that. Across the country, influenza, COVID, and respiratory syncytial virus numbers are on the rise. Yet Adrian Dix says being prepared doesn't make the impact on the healthcare system any easier. So reminding British Columbians to do their part is key. We need to stay home when we're sick. We need to wash our hands. We need to um, consider wearing masks in indoor public spaces. While BC braces for what's to come, Dick says the good news is flu vaccinations are up year over year. Thumbs up. Last year, 500,000 flu vaccines were administered, with that doubled to more than a million dispensed this year. Plus, about 1.1 million doses of COVID vaccinations have also been given. But one doctor says it might not be enough to save the system from crashing. The respiratory virus incidence is rising and we're seeing it out in the community. And I know I'm not the only physician who's being slammed with all these same day appointments for all these little ones who are coming in sick. For doctors on the front lines, many are preparing for an even bigger onslaught of patients. And so they want to see stronger public health messaging from the province. If we just look at what's happening in Ontario, their hospitals are operating at 120% capacity and their pediatric ICUs are full. We're not seeing it in BC yet, but we don't want to see that. Dick says while they closely watch the situation in Ontario, an actual mask mandate is not imminent. Just a recommendation at the health briefing on Wednesday morning. Don't expect uh, big announcements. This is just part of the normal um, presentation of public health information and, uh, and bringing people up to date. Julie Nolan, Global News. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now live with more on this. Keith, you have a closer look at children in critical care in this province and how busy hospitals are getting. Yeah, you heard uh, Dr. Anna Wallach in Julie's story talk about Ontario, and she points out we're not at anywhere near what's happening in Ontario with overcapacity, but the numbers are starting to go up and they're going up significantly. Here's the breakdown of kids in ICUs across the province. Most of them uh, are in BC Women's, 49, 74% capacity. You see the other hospitals there, Surrey Memorial, Royal Columbian, where there's a real problem. Look down there at Kelowna, 183% capacity. There's almost twice as many people in ICU as their ICU beds. BC Children's also a high number there, and Abbotsford is at 100%. Uh, Adrian Dix, again, making the point, it's not just kids in ICU. Hospitals right now are very busy and very full. We're about 94, 95% capacity of base beds, and it says Children's Hospital is particularly very busy right now. Children's Hospital is busy right now. If you talk to anyone at Children's Hospital, you know that it's not just the ICU, it's the overall hospitalization that gets reflected when we see um, the return, really, of uh, RSV as a significant uh, fact this year um, and we have many children who might previously have been exposed in previous years who haven't been exposed in the last two years and obviously uh, flu and COVID-19. It's a very, um, it's going to be a very challenging uh, uh, winter and that's what we've, we've prepared for. That doesn't make it easy, any easier. So we're going to hear more about that at tomorrow's briefing. 11 a.m., Dr. Bonnie Henry, Health Minister Adrian Dix, walking us through again what is expected to occur this respiratory illness season, uh, the impact on beds, on ICUs, what measures the government may use to deflect the pressure that is surely going to come with, with sort of this tidal wave of three viruses hitting us all at once. That's at 11 o'clock tomorrow. We'll be hearing that live, of course, on BC1. Hard for healthcare to catch a break these days, it seems. Yeah. But uh, look forward to that tomorrow. Thanks very much, Keith.
The federal government does not measure how well its programs to address homelessness are working. That revelation is in a new report by the Auditor General, and she says there is insufficient data to know if the billions of dollars spent are actually getting people off the streets. And as Richard Zussman shows us, that has a trickle-down effect in British Columbia. All it takes is a glance at the downtown east side or Crab Park to see British Columbia's biggest city has a homeless problem. But if a look isn't good enough, Canada's Auditor General has some numbers to back it up. As these audits show, sometimes it's our most vulnerable populations who are disproportionately affected by the failure of government organizations to actively manage issues. In a report released Tuesday, the Auditor General found Ottawa is nowhere close to being able to quantify if it will hit the goal of homelessness dropping by 50% by 2028. The investigation finding Infrastructure Canada spent $1.36 billion between 2019 and 2021 to reduce homelessness. But the department had no idea if it went up or down. On top of that, the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation spent $4.5 billion on the national housing strategy. But the CMHC doesn't know who the program is helping. In the area of addressing homelessness, a data-driven strategy is a great solution. And uh, they really do need to start coordinating their efforts to do that better. Unlike the federal government, BC actually does track some metrics when it comes to the way money is used to address homelessness. But there are still concerns that it's not enough to fully understand the issue. We definitely have more work to do. People see it in the streets of British Columbia. We have a homelessness problem. There's no question about it. We flattened the numbers. The auditor are also looking at rental housing units being considered affordable. Across Canada, the average cost was 31.1% of pre-tax income, above the 30% affordability standard. In BC, the number even higher, at 34.3%. But the reality is rents are up. Uh, we're not seeing the homelessness uh, issue get any better. And we're not seeing their housing plan uh, roll out with any uh, semblance of, of uh, certainty around the numbers actually being built. The auditor also making an overarching point. The federal government less willing to spend to prevent problems and more willing to spend when problems have already gotten out of hand. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. More twists and turns in the chaotic Surrey policing saga. Council voted last night to stick with the RCMP instead of moving ahead with its own local police service. But unwinding the work that's already done has to go through the Solicitor General first. And he's got something to say about it next on the News Hour. The former community health nurse who just donated $3.8 million for a clinic on the downtown east side. That's later on the News Hour. And bonding over hockey and chocolate. How a group of buddies launched an award winning business a little later as well. Right now, though, there is a new twist in the chaotic policing change in Surrey. Despite council voting to revert back to the RCMP, the chief of the newly formed Surrey Police Service says he's going to keep hiring new officers anyway. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, ultimately it will be up to the province to decide. For members of Surrey Police Service, it's an unsettling time. City Council has voted to dismantle their department. I've had the opportunity to work here before with the RCMP and then ultimately left because I wanted to root myself here in the Lower Mainland. Monday night, Surrey Councillors voted 5-4 to four in favour of keeping the Mounties as police of jurisdiction. Opposed. Passes. Council's vote included asking the SPS to stop hiring and spending money. 
Chief Norm Lipinski says that's not happening. The mayor doesn't have the uh, authority to direct the police uh, department to do any particular thing. Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth backed that up. I don't have the authority to, to freeze spending. Uh, there is a plan that is already in place. Uh, and that plan continues until there is a new plan. Lipinski says Locke was also out of line when she said this on election night. Will some people be losing their job, however? Uh, some will. The uh, senior officers will be losing their jobs, but that's only a very small number that are um, inspectors and uh, the chief. I was surprised that um, that comment was made. I, I take it for what it is in the sense of not being informed. The Surrey Police Board estimates stopping the transition would result in an estimated $188.5 million loss, a loss the province won't be covering. I know one thing, the province will not be uh, contributing any money uh, to that, uh, to, to cover those costs. As for a possible hybrid model that maintains both agencies, SPS says it's not interested. Both City Hall and SPS are expected to present reports to the province in the next few weeks. The RCMP will be required to submit a plan as well. Hopefully uh, a decision is made sooner than later. I know this is causing a lot of stress for, for SPS employees, whether it be sworn or civilian employees. But for now at least, the future of policing in Surrey remains uncertain. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. RCMP on Vancouver Island are investigating an unusual and frightening abduction attempt. It happened Monday at the West Shore Town Centre in Langford. A 17-year-old girl says she was leaning into the backseat of her car when a man shoved her into the vehicle and closed the door. A second man then tried to get into the driver's seat, but the girl was able to lock the door. The men fled when they were confronted by a witness. The suspects are described as in their late 20s or early 30s with beards wearing dark clothing. One had a swirl tattoo on his hand. West Shore RCMP are looking for dash cam video and would like to speak to any witnesses. The barge that wouldn't budge fades into history. When it blew onto shore a year ago, no one knew the curiosity it would become. The question is, how do you feel now that it's gone? Plus, so a year later, we've, we've come a long way. We've still got a long way to go. One year after the flood that destroyed Princeton, how the town is still trying to recover. We are at a critical turning point in cancer care and research, but together, our potential is beyond belief. The BC Cancer Foundation has launched the most ambitious health campaign in BC's history. Give today at gobeyondbeliefbc.ca. It's been one year since the devastating flood submerged nearly the entire town of Princeton. The flooding caused millions of dollars in damage and displaced hundreds of people from their homes. It wrecked a lot of the town's infrastructure. Claudia Van Emmerich reports on the delays slowing recovery down. It is an anniversary of a devastating event that the community of Princeton would rather not be marking. So a year later, we've, we've come a long way. We've still got a long way to go. It was November 15, 2021, when the Tulamine River burst its banks, sending raging floodwaters across town. We were under about six or seven feet of water through about a third of our community. 
The catastrophic flood forced hundreds of people from their homes and caused millions of dollars in property and infrastructure damage, including the town's water wells. A year later, much of the damage has been cleaned up, but there are still people displaced from their homes. We lost three apartment buildings. Um, those apartment buildings are still not occupied. And repairs still needed don't end there. One of the major rebuild projects that still has to happen is a new $4.5 million water treatment facility that will be located here east of town. Until then, about 70% of residents will have to continue boiling their water, and that will likely be the case for many more months to come. It is very long. It's, uh, it's frustrating, very frustrating. Um, we have water. We've sourced the water. It's good, it's good water. It's got enough flow. <laughs> we have the money. We just need to get the approval to move forward. Approvals that are needed from the Interior Health Authority. On the streets of Princeton Tuesday, the one-year anniversary wasn't far from residents' minds. Everyone had to band together and do the best they can to, to get through it all, and they did really good. People at Princeton are a tight group of people, so we'll get through it. The community's mayor echoing the sentiment and reflecting not only on the worst that came out of the devastation, but also the best. The worst thing, <laughs> I think the worst thing is, you know, some people lost everything, absolutely everything. Um, you know, childhood memories, pictures, photographs. Um, we were fortunate nobody lost their lives. And I mean, that, maybe that's the best thing that came out of it is nobody lost a life. That and the strength residents showed in time of crisis. We're resilient people and it doesn't matter what you try to throw at us, we're going to get back up no matter what. Claudia Venemer, Global News, Princeton. Canada's Auditor General says the federal government is essentially throwing money away because it's not spending enough helping Indigenous communities prepare for emergencies like fires and floods. Amadagahi reports. In my lifetime, and I think a lot of our elders have never seen the water that high. Back-to-back -back atmospheric rivers and floods that followed last November had devastating impacts throughout the province. But sadly, the Shakin Indian Band off Highway 8 still has yet to recover. And looking at my property and, and the house, you know, I feel like a stranger right now. Chief Arnie Lampro's home, along with nine others, totally cut off because their bridge was washed away by high waters. His community's story, similar to many other BC First Nations who often see the most damaging effects of climate change. And that's where my frustration lies. On Tuesday, the Federal Auditor General Karen Hogan criticized Indigenous Services Canada for not supporting First Nations communities to prepare for emergencies such as fire and flood. The department's actions were consistently more reactive than proactive. In her report, Hogan found that in the last four years, Indigenous Services Canada spent $828 million on emergency management, spending three and a half times more on responding and recovering from emergencies than on helping communities to prevent and prepare for them. This despite Public Safety Canada's claim that for every $1 invested in preparedness and mitigation, $6 can be saved in emergency response and recovery costs. Funding and building approved infrastructure projects such as culverts and dikes to prevent seasonal floods would help minimize the impact on people and the cost of responding to and recovering from emergencies. It's actually quite sad that uh, we are not helping First Nations uh, prepare for emergency situations like this. You know, we look at last week with the Health Sec Nation, they had no power for almost three days. If the road washes away or the power quits, 
How are, how are you going to survive? For now, Chief Lampro and Shakin Indian Band continue to wait for a permanent bridge to be built, connecting them to their homes, one that can survive adverse weather events in the future. And Madagahi, Global News. And now it was sure fun while it lasted. One year to the day after it made its splashy debut, Vancouver's Barge on the Beach has vanished into history. Aaron MacArthur has a progress report on the dismantling of the city's accidental conversation piece. Bit by bit, the scaffolding is coming down. The last real remnants of the English Bay Barge finally dismantled. It's taken a year to get to this point. On November 15th, 2021, on the heels of torrential rain, a vicious windstorm battered the west coast. The barge slipped its anchor and began drifting dangerously towards False Creek. There were fears it could strike the Burrard Street Bridge, but the derelict vessel made it no further than Sunset Beach. It was pushed aground by 70 kilometer an hour wind gusts on one of the year's highest tides. By the time the wind stopped and the tide went out, the 1.5 million kilogram barge was stuck fast. Towing it off the rocks didn't work, and plans to remove it remained a mystery until Vancouver pile driving began the work to take it apart. In August, work began. The company said it would take 12 to 15 weeks to disassemble. 15 weeks later, on the one-year anniversary, the job is mostly done. After this is all complete, we'll remove the piles that were installed as a preventative measure initially uh, and perform our environmental assessments post-project. The city of Vancouver says the barge owner is responsible for all the costs of cleanup. The city keeping a running tally of its costs so far and will be seeking reimbursement. That number, though, not being made available publicly. Legend was born on a cold Monday morn on the bay the Salish call illusion. There were songs written about the barge and goofy signs installed by the park board. This part of Sunset Beach is still listed as Barge Chilling Beach on Google Earth. Given such whimsy, some have questioned how it will be remembered. Most people just glad the eyesore is finally gone. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Coming up, a shocking development in the war in Ukraine. Suspected Russian rockets rained down in Poland, with other NATO countries like Canada reacting quickly. And a one-time nurse turned property developer makes a massive donation to build a clinic in the neighborhood she once served. Pink Shirt Day reminds us all to be kind, to lift each other up, to speak up for those who don't have a voice. You know, like every day. The CKNW Kids Fund Pink Shirt Day, presented by Global BC and CKNW 980. Visit our online store at pinkshirtday.ca. As expected, and despite his legal troubles, Donald Trump is back in the race for the White House. Please welcome the next president and first lady of the United States of America, President Donald J. Trump. The former president made it official just a few moments ago at his Mar-a-Lago resort in Florida, Trump announcing his candidacy despite the Republicans' poor showing in the recent midterms, a performance even many Republicans are blaming on him. Still, Trump praised his own accomplishments during his time in office and took repeated shots at the Biden administration. Under our leadership, we were a great and glorious nation, something you haven't heard for quite a long period of time. 
We were a strong nation, and importantly, we were a free nation. But now we are a nation in decline. We are a failing nation. For millions of Americans, the past two years under Joe Biden have been a time of pain, hardship, anxiety, and despair. To a developing story now, one with potentially global implications. Poland's Ministry of Foreign Affairs says a Russian-made missile has killed two people in Poland. It's still unclear who fired the missile. Meantime, Russia is denying it's behind any strikes near the Ukrainian-Polish border. London Bureau Chief Crystal Gumansing has more. Polish officials confirm that two of its citizens have been killed on Polish soil. That is NATO soil. Officials tonight are working at that scene in a rural area in a village known as Peshevadoof. That is just about 10 kilometers from the Ukrainian border. Officials are trying to confirm if, in fact, the fire and the fatalities were the result of a Russian missile strike. At this point, that has not yet been confirmed. But for Polish officials are increasing the readiness of their military, and they are talking with NATO officials and allies, including the United States. They are also calling for an emergency NATO meeting on Wednesday. That's at the request of Poland. That's under Article 4, which is basically to gather consensus and to come up with a next plan of action. Tonight, I can tell you that a number of Eastern European officials are commenting on this potential Russian strike on a NATO country. They are saying that it is alarming. That is what the head of the European Commission has tweeted, Ursula von der Leyen, saying that, of course, there has been concern about the potential for Russia's invasion and war on Ukraine to spill over to other borders since the very beginning. And it's one of the reasons why, at the beginning, we saw that bolstering of NATO forces along the eastern flank. So tonight it has been confirmed that two Polish citizens were killed on Polish soil. There will be an emergency NATO meeting happening on Wednesday. Crystal Gamanson, Global News, London. And Canada's Defence Minister Anita Anand didn't have much to say about it, but she does say the government is monitoring the situation very closely. What happens if we find up finding out these missiles were in fact from Russia? As I said, uh, we are monitoring the situation. I'm receiving updates regarding this uh, report and very uh, closely in touch with our Polish allies at this time. It would be imprudent for me to comment further. A woman who used to work as a public health nurse on Vancouver's downtown east side is giving back in a huge way. Lily Lee is putting up millions for a new health care facility in the neighborhood that she once served. Kylie Stanton has more on the developer turned philanthropist and the project that could become a game changer for people down there dealing with drug addiction and homelessness. Before the rebar, wood and cement, there was a dream that's finally becoming a reality. You know, it's really exciting and feels really fulfilling. After 10 years of planning, 58 West Hastings is starting to take shape in the downtown east side. The 10-story, 50,000-square-foot integrated health centre, complete with 230 social housing units, is set to open in the spring of 2024, thanks in part to Lily Lee and her $3.8 million donation. It seems to be a logical fit for me to be able to 
do something that I think is very worthwhile for the downtown inside. In the 1950s, Lee spent several years working as a public health nurse in the area, what she calls much simpler times. While things have changed, Lee's experiences in the neighborhood have stayed with her. And now being in a position to make a contribution financially is a full circle moment for the family. Our family philosophy is about building community and uh, we're the Chinatown Foundation, but we thought, well, let's help our next door neighbor first. The unique project that brings together all levels of government in partnership with a charitable foundation will be operated by Vancouver Coastal Health improving health care delivery in the area while providing easy access to a wide range of services. What advocates say sets a new precedent for the city. You know, it's a place that meets people's needs uh, where they're at. And, you know, being able to access something uh, with community support uh, is probably the most therapeutic thing that can happen for that community. That's great. It's being proposed the facility be named the Lily Lee Community Health Centre Hastings in honour of her donation. What the family hopes will serve as inspiration for others in a position to help to see what's possible. I feel really happy about that. It's going to be great. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, the Girl Guides of Canada is renaming its brownies program. No new name has been chosen yet, but the organization says it's heard from racialized women and girls who say the name for members aged 7 to 9 has caused them harm. The selection process will begin in two weeks, and the new name will be announced in January. Girl Guide says this change is part of its commitment to prioritize inclusivity. Still ahead, sweet success for some BC entrepreneurs. This is our humble little uh, chocolate workshop in East Vancouver. How a group of hockey buddies scored big time with their award-winning chocolate. And coming up in sports, why that tough loss in the Western Final might be the last time we see Nathan Rourke in a BC Lions uniform. From the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us, when BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. How come she gets popsicles? We don't get any popsicles. What's up I don't, that? I don't remember ever being offered a popsicle. Or is that a prop popsicle? Just I for the fact it. it's summer and she's trying to show how hot it was. A long time ago. All right, okay. take it away. So uh, one of the reasons Nathan Rourke was so upset after the Lions lost to Winnipeg on Sunday in the Western Final was quite possibly that he knew it could be his last game as a BC Lion. Today, it came out that Rourke has workouts scheduled for NFL teams starting next week and he'll have more after that. It's rumored that a very large number of NFL teams have taken notice of Nathan Rourke, which is not surprising given the way he played when he was healthy this past season. He also played college football in the U.S. at Ohio University. So a lot of these NFL scouts had seen him before, and they noticed the improvement he showed this year. I don't know how many people know, but I, n I never had a, a true opportunity at the NFL level, um, not, a, not as a quarterback, and that's been something that I've wanted to to, uh, to at least try for a very long time and uh, I, it's fortunate enough to have an opportunity and try to see where that, that goes and understanding that I have a heck of an opportunity still here with the Lions and so to me it's, it's a win-win 
um, really. If if I get an opportunity down there, then great. But you know, it's a great thing that I have here, and I don't mind coming back at all. Um, I would be very excited to. You know, good good for him. Of course, we want him back, and we're gonna make every effort to make it as attractive as we can for him to be back here. And I know that he likes it here. Um, I also know that he's 24 years old. And um, I've always found in this league, if you, if you, at the end of the year, if other teams want your coaches or players, although that's frustrating, that means something good happened. Well, let's see if something good happens for the Canucks in her final game of this five-game road trip, taking on the Buffalo Sabres early on. Brock Besser, who just can't seem to get a goal Still doesn't have a goal, as Craig Anderson made the stop there. First goal for the Canucks is a fourth-line goal. Dakota Joshua, nice play. Lockwood, Amon, and then Joshua. And we have a 1-0 lead for Vancouver. Then the Canucks get a 2-0 lead, which is a bit frightening for Canuck fans, but nice little back pass here by Horvat to Ethan Bear. Screen provided by JT Miller. It's 2-0, his first goal as a Canuck. But then just under two minutes later, Jeff Skinner scores. And Buffalo's back in it. It's 2-1. Then Elias Pedersen tips in this shot by Oliver Ekman Larson. Yes, that puck stays onside. Almost got outside the blue line, but stayed onside, and that's a good goal. 3-1. Then Skinner scores again to make it 3-2. Sabres just wouldn't go away, but then again, everybody who plays the Canucks just won't go away. Vancouver's power play comes to life. Look at the nice, clean face-off win by Horvat. Right to J.T. Miller. Take another look. Quick shot, 4-2. Then another power play goal. Vancouver's power play has been the one bright spot so far this year. Fifth in the NHL coming in. That play was started by Spencer Martin, who played goal tonight. It's finished by Bo Horvat, who now has 14 goals, second only to Connor McDavid. He actually has more goals on the road than McDavid with eight. That made it 5-2. Now it's a three-goal lead. Now it's 5-3. And now Casey Middlestat makes it 5-4. Uh-oh. But not this time. Everybody's trying to make stops. Bo Horvat with a block. Myers with a block. And yes, the Canucks hold on to beat Buffalo 5-4. Spencer Martin gets the win. They're home Friday against the Kings. They want to get out of Buffalo fast because there apparently is a big snowstorm coming. So win the game, throw the bags on the plane, let's go. Uh, Alfonso Davies will not play Canada's final World Cup warm-up, which will be Thursday against Japan. He needs to rest some more. That sore hamstring, which he has suffered in a game with Byron Munich recently. So he stays out of the game against Japan, and he should be ready to go when the tournament begins next Wednesday against Belgium. Canada's women's team played another game against Brazil. They played them last week and beat Brazil 2-1. This time it was the other way around. Brazil won 2-1. Beatrice with a goal for Brazil. That made a 1-0 in the 42nd minute. Ashley Lawrence, penalty kick, ties it for the Canadians. And it looked like it would end 1-1. I know I gave it away and it's 2-1 Brazil, but this is how it ended. They're an extra time here. This corner kick just causes a scramble in front, and Anna Vittoria scores to make it 2-1, to one, and that's the way it would end. One of the BC-born players in the NFL might be gone for the rest of this season. Christian Covington, who's a defensive lineman with the L.A. Chargers and played high school ball at Vancouver College, tore his pectoral muscle in the fourth quarter of a game against San Francisco on Sunday night. Happened on this play when Covington was reaching out to make a tackle on Elijah Mitchell 
He immediately fell to the ground and was uh, taken out of the game. It's not official yet, but his coach, uh, Brandon Staley, thinks that Covington could be done for the year because of this. It looked painful. I hope you're okay. I am. I think I'll be all right. Just now, oh, someone mentioned this, and I should mention this. A TRU, Thompson Rivers, won yeah. the Canadian Men's University Soccer Championship. That happened on Sunday. We didn't get a chance to mention it, to mention it last night, but we'll mention it tonight. Big win, win for them. There you go. Awesome. All right, just ahead, hockey buddies who started an award-winning chocolate company and the photo that inspired them. That's coming up. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Camp Freightways. BC owned and operated for 75 years. Jordan Armstrong is here with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Chris, citing internal battles, some members of the Splitseen First Nation are demanding new elections for their chief and council. In fact, they stormed a council meeting yesterday, and we'll show you video of that. Plus, news tonight on buffets and beer on BC ferries. You can now crack a cold one on certain ships at certain times with certain conditions, but it is going to be a while before those onboard buffets reopen. We'll have all the details tonight on Global News at 11. Chris. All right, thanks very much, Jordan. It started as a hobby for a bunch of hockey buddies. Now it's turned into an award-winning chocolate business. And on tonight's This is BC, Jay Durant shows us where the inspiration for Kasama chocolate came from. Well, this is our humble little uh, chocolate workshop in East Vancouver. They call this their accidental chocolate company. It started off as a bit of a joke. Four hockey buddies having beers around the table and learning more about this photo of co-owner Vince's late father Mario in the Philippines. I thought we had mangoes on the property. It turns out it was cacao pods. Some were brought back to Vancouver and not long after, weekend experimentation began. Vince shows up at our doorstep and he's like, all right guys, he's got a suitcase full of beans. And he's like, let's make chocolate. So it was very much just a hobby. Like, we have beans, let's see if we can make chocolate. They watched YouTube videos and checked out online forums to learn the craft. Our first chocolate bar, was, a, was it tasted like cardboard and pizza at the time. It's, it's a food we love. It, it's a food but this hobby became a serious passion and eventually a small business starting out at farmer's market. Everybody loves chocolates. Here we are at the Nawa Fermentation Center. Now they're traveling the world sourcing the best beans. Honestly, like when we started this, it was just like, if we can make chocolate that's somewhat edible that we can give as gifts at Christmas, we'll be happy. This was a big year for Kasama, which means togetherness in the Philippines. Their little company won 19 medals at the International Chocolate Awards. Not bad for a bunch of guys who first bonded playing pickup hockey. I don't think a lot of people took us seriously when we first started. I don't know if we really took ourselves seriously either. We refine it for anywhere from two to three days, usually three days for the dark chocolates. There's a lot of science involved with this step, but basically it's all about making the crystals in the chocolate beta-5 crystals. Mold them and they just slide right out of the mold. A fun side project that turned into an award-winning business. Have a nice snap. This is the picture that's become like... All sparked by this random picture of Vince's dad. To see where we've come um, together as a group of friends, uh, he'd be really happy for us. And to see too that his, his that little town was able to kind of create an opportunity for us. Jay Durant, Global News. Can't wait to try that. All right, if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC you'd like to share with the rest of us, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. University of YouTube. It is true. Yep. There's nothing you can't <laughs> learn on YouTube. I've fixed mm, our washer sure. and dryer many times yeah. doing the same thing. It makes the unhandiest of people mm. handy. That's right. 
Uh, okay, last word on weather before we go. Still lots more sunshine in the forecast, it sounds like, Christy. Uh, we're so lucky. It looks like right through the weekend, it will be towards the end of the weekend on Sunday that we could start to see showers by the evening hours. That's the timeline right now. So lots to enjoy. It's sort of a bundle up, but get your sunglasses out type of day again tomorrow, although the fog will linger a little bit longer, but it probably won't on. It's not expected to on Thursday and Friday. Lots of sunshine Thursday and Friday, it looks like. And highs reaching 11 degrees away from the water. Not so bad this time of year. No, that's pretty good. Thanks very much, uh, Christy, and thanks everybody for watching. Watching. Have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow.